Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. When I sent out my direct mail and the calls came in, the person who answered that call wasn't critical. I kind of figured anybody with a heartbeat who could pick up a phone and say, hello, how may I help you? will be fine, right? So we just like plugged in anybody and it's not, it's not fine. That is a sales position and that is the gatekeeper. And if people, trust me, when they call you off a, a postcard, they're already skeptical. They already don't know for sure if they can trust you. In fact, they probably think they can't trust you. And so the person answering the phone is really critical as an ambassador of your company. They have to make the person feel comfortable immediately. They have to tear down the walls that are up between you and the seller. They have to learn how to find common ground, build rapport, build a little relationship, all in about 10 or 15 minutes tops. They should be on the phone, right? and get that appointment. So there's so many things that go into it other than just the mail itself. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to be here. I have another live Q&A replay that I think you're going to love a lot. This was a lot of fun. Tons of questions and just rapid fire. And uh, we started off talking about buying houses above the median house price in your area. What are the pros and cons? What does that mean? Why should you do it? Why shouldn't you do it? Some of the things to consider. And then we got into this like crazy deep dive rabbit hole of direct mail. And I talked about some things to consider with direct mail that I don't think I've ever talked about before, um, like on the show or whatever. And it, just because there were certain questions that came up that that kind of brought that out and made that, you know, part of the conversation. But anyways, a real kind of a deep conversation on direct mail and some stuff that you might not have heard before regarding direct mail that you need to think about. And so this is a great episode. If you're at all interested or thinking about your marketing, your direct mail, how you're doing it, should you do it? This is a great episode. I don't think I've ever talked more about direct mail in any of my podcast shows uh, up until this point. So it was really deep, really great, and all live questions just firing at me. It was awesome. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I had a lot of fun doing it. I give you my latest live Q&A. 
All right, welcome back to another live Q&A on Wednesday. It is 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm here every week to answer your real estate questions. My name is Mike Simmons. I am a real estate investor in Michigan. Uh, started real estate investing in 2008. Started flipping houses, actually. My wife and I were flipping houses, did that for a little while, had some success, uh, switched over to wholesaling, and then started acquiring rentals and doing a bunch of other stuff. But my company now, my real estate company, typically uh, we're about 50-50 wholesale and we do some uh, land contract, buy and hold stuff um, for long term. So uh, we can talk about all real estate, anything you want to talk about. But the important thing is that you're here and that you try to show up live. I know a lot of you are listening to this on my podcast as a replay, which is cool. I get that. Uh, we can't always be present for everything that we want to be present for. But if you are present live on this uh, Q&A, you can ask me questions and we can have a dialogue and I can ask follow-up questions and you can ask follow-up questions and we can get a little bit deeper. But if you want to just submit questions, you can do that too. You can send me questions at Mike at juststartrealestate.com. You can uh, DM me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever you want to do, and we'll get those questions on the show and we'll get answers to them and you can listen to them at your leisure. So if you're here live, you will take priority. I will answer your questions. I'll break into the other questions and sort of put you to the front of the line because I want to be able to answer questions live as I'm getting them. So don't be shy about doing that. Uh, also, if you are growing a real estate business, if you haven't even started yet, or if you have started and you're growing, you need to get leads in your business. That's number one. Like leads are oxygen. I say it all the time. Leads are oxygen. Your body can't survive without oxygen. Your company cannot survive without leads because it keeps your company alive. So to that end, I have created a, a, a very great comprehensive video course. It's totally free. You can grab it if you'd like. Uh, all you have to do is go to mikesimmons.com and you can go to forward slash winning direct mail. You can also just go to winning directmail.com and you can grab your free copy of this training guys you need it if you're doing direct mail i think you need it because i'm almost positive i can help you make it better if you're not doing direct mail you should look at this training because you should be doing direct mail and so go grab it it's free uh i may charge for it in the future but I'm not right now. So now is not the future. Go grab it. So you have it forever and ever. It'll be yours. You can have it for free. And any updates I make to it or anything, you'll have it forever. So go grab it. It's a no brainer. It's free. So it's something you should have in your business. Okay, let's get started. If you have questions, like I said, if you're live and you have questions, go ahead and throw them in the chat and I will get to them immediately. Otherwise, I am going to jump into the questions that were sent to me throughout the week. And here we go. All right. First question. Is there a net annual cash flow percentage considered healthy for long-term rentals? Um, it's it's one of those depends questions. I mean, what's healthy in the Midwest and what's healthy in California and New York and Florida could be a little different. In my opinion, if you're going to do rentals, I really think you need to be in double-digit returns. That means 10% or more. My rentals, um, I, I sold most of them off last year, but when I had them, uh, my rentals averaged like 15 to 20, somewhere in there, 15 to 20% ROI. I really think you need to be at 10. If you're not at 10, I don't know. I just think there's better things you could do with your money, potentially, unless you're just in it for equity, right? Equity is a long-term thing. You buy a house, you don't, maybe you don't make a lot of cash flow. It's totally fine if, if your plan is to hold it for 30 years and just take that appreciation in 30 years. There's a really good chance 
it will appreciate in 30 years, right? I know everyone says, oh, the, the market goes up and down. It does. But if you look at the market over the course of like a couple of years, you might see it kind of go up and down. And it's like, oh, this doesn't look like it ever goes all the way up. But if you look at a, a real estate over the last like 60 years or even 30 years, it it always it kind of like if you if you pan out to the to the macro, it it is going up. It's always going up, right? If you kind of go to the micro look at it, like within six, eight months, 12 months, 18 months, you can see maybe a little volatile over like five years, even a little volatile. But when you back off, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, real estate always goes up, right? I don't know too many people who bought a house in, you know, 1990 and today it's worth less. It's it's generally worth more, right? And even if it does go down, it, it does go back up usually pretty quickly if there's a little dip or something. So anyways, to answer the question, what's a good healthy return? At least 10%. I like 15 for me. So, you know, I shoot for 15 to 20 and my, but I'm in Michigan. I'm in the middle. I'm in the Midwest. It's a little bit different. We get the 2% rule here where a lot of states and a lot of places gets the 1% rule or less even, you know, but if you're buying a, a property and you have it in an area that is like either up and coming or it's like always been great, it's been great your whole life, it's going to be great the rest of your life, it's going to be great after you're dead. Like if you're in just a super, super great area and it doesn't have super strong cash flow, but it's like super desirable and appreciating and all that, and you're going to hold it for a while, then, then that's fine too. You can do that. But if you're looking for a return, right? And so... I assume by this question, the person is looking for a monthly cash flow return, right? That they're just saying annual cash flow percentage. I think you need to be in the double digits, personally, double digits. So if you're not getting 10 to 12, then I think you should uh, reconsider where you're buying. You can always find something that's getting double digit returns, no doubt about it. You just might have to alter where you're buying. Maybe your market isn't the greatest for cash flowing real estate. So you might have to look somewhere else. But I think double digits is a must. That's that's my opinion. Okay, uh, let's dive into the chat here. <clears throat> We've got some questions. Uh, let's see, who was first? Looks like Mike Smith was first. Watching on YouTube, by the way. All right, Mike, if I'm looking to flip a house just above the median area, just a little bit pricier than the first time home buyer, single family home, how far back should I look for comps in this market? I like that you put in this market in all caps. Um, I think in this market, 90 days is okay. I, probably 60 is best. I would probably go 60 if I'm being real con like conservative and safe and trying to really be safe. 60 is probably as conservative as you have to be. 90, I think, is fair. I, I don't think 90 is is um, negligent. And anyway, 90 is good. 60 is a little better. You know, I don't think I'd go back six months, obviously. And I think you know that because you're asking 90 days or less, maybe. Um, don't go back six months. Going back three months, I think, is okay at this point, right? In September, I would have said, no way. You can't go back three months. Now, I think you can go back three months. If you can go back two months and find, put it this way, if you can go back 60 days and find five, at least like four to five really good comps, then stop. Don't go back 90 days just so you can find better ones. If you find good, solid comps in 60 days, just use those. They're going to be the best. But sometimes when I go back 60 days, I'm not finding enough properties that are comparable, right? I would rather find a comparable property and go back 90 days 
then go back only 60 days and find a property that's a different style house or, you know, there's enough different about it that it's not really comparable. So 60 is great. 90 is totally acceptable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid of doing that. I, I did do 90. I actually comped a property. Actually, I comped a property today for my business just as a double check. And I underwrote a loan that I'm going to give somebody in another state. And I went back 90 days for both of them. So I wouldn't be afraid of that. Uh, okay. Doug, Doug, love it. How you doing, Doug? <clears throat> On Facebook, what is a reasonable expectation for the time to get a deal from direct mail? I'll put this up on the screen. Sorry, guys, I should have done that for Mike's. What's a reasonable expectation for the time to get a deal from direct mail when you first get started? It, it really is going to depend. It not you know not everybody has the same experience, but I will say this: direct mail goes out. Let's just say, for example, it lands on a Monday. You will probably get calls Monday. You should for sure get calls Tuesday and Wednesday. And usually by Friday, the calls are starting to kind of dwindle down a little bit. You're not getting as many calls. It's usually hot within two or three days of actually the mail dropping. That's when you're going to get the most. So theoretically, you could get a deal that on that first drop, okay? But even if you get a deal on the first drop, by the time you make the appointment and get out to the property and maybe have to go for a second appointment or talk to them again if they weren't 100% ready to go right then, like you could be talking a week or two to get that deal. Now, that would be best case scenario. I think what I see with direct mail, which is really interesting, and this happens with a lot of marketing, but it definitely happens with direct mail, is <clears throat> there's a little bit of a momentum factor there. And so sometimes it takes people two or three or four months to get a deal, but then they start getting deals every month. And the more consistent they are with the mail, the more consistently they get deals. Now, what's interesting is if you stop mailing for a couple of months, let's say you stop mailing for 60 days, not only are you not going to get any deals from the time that you didn't send mail, obviously, because you didn't send mail, the next couple of months after that, when you do start up, it's going to take you another two or three months sometimes to start seeing deal flow again. There's momentum in it. And so if I were going to start a brand new campaign, and again, some of this is, is contingent on where do you live? How hot is your market? All that kind of stuff, right? But let's just say, you know, whatever, Midwest, or you're, you're going to be doing this somewhere where it's not hyper ultra competitive, like most competitive market in the, in the country. I would... I would hope to get a deal within the first 90 days. That would be my hope. I tell people that you should give yourself a five or six month runway with your marketing, meaning you can financially afford to do your marketing consistently every month for six months without getting your deal. That's like the runway you should have. But realistically, I would hope and expect that I would get a deal within the first 90 days. Some of it is how, you know, again, it's like there's so many layers to getting a deal from direct marketing, right? It's the marketing, the marketing piece itself is one layer. The next layer is when are you sending it? Are you sending it on December 23rd and it lands on the 25th or the 26th? Like you're not going to get much from that. You may not even get a lot of visibility with that. Um, the next layer is who's answering the phones? Who is the first point of contact? Are they good at creating rapport, building, you know, building bridges and tearing down walls between them and the sellers, right? 
the next step is how how quickly are you getting the appointment to actually go to the house and talk to the homeowner? And then the next layer is how good is your acquisitions person? And then how good is your follow-up, right? So there's a lot of layers. You can have great direct mail. You can send it at the exact right time. But if the people answering your phone are ruining it for you, it could take several months to get a deal because they're dying at the lead intake part of the chain. That's the weak link. Or maybe they're great, but your acquisition person, your acquisition process, whatever, is not good. So you don't get a deal. And, and I've seen this more than once. People will say to me, because I know I love direct mail and they know I'm into the marketing side of it. And they'll say, I'm not getting any deals. My marketing is no good. And sometimes that's true. But sometimes I go into their business and I, and I see their response rates. I see how many times the phone's ringing. And I say, it's not marketing. You're getting a lot of leads. Your response rates are good. Something is going wrong with the phones or with acquisition. So sometimes it's a sales problem, not a marketing problem. So be real, be real like wary of that. But I think if you don't get a deal in the first 90 days, honestly, if you don't get real traction in a really good conversation with a handful of, of sellers in the first 30 to 60 days, I would tweak the marketing piece a little bit. I wouldn't stop marketing. I wouldn't completely change everything, but I would tweak the, the copy. I would tweak the wording on your marketing to try to see if maybe you can do something to be a little bit more appealing, right? So I would do that. But 90 days, if you're not getting a deal in 90 days, something is wrong. Either the marketing piece itself is not effective or something else in the chain that before it gets to a deal is falling apart. And so you have to look at the whole, you have to look at the whole like chain of what happens, right? The whole chain of events. You need to look all the way up and down that to see if there's an issue. You cannot just blame marketing right off the bat. Even if it's new, you can't, you can't assume it's the marketing. I, I would look all the way up and down the chain. <clears throat> okay. Uh, next question. Ba -ba 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 here we go. Sorry, I'm getting a lot of them now, you guys. You're putting in some good stuff here. Okay. Next question from Mike Smith again. Uh, anything else I should consider if I'm looking to flip in that setup type home, in that setup type home? You mean like just above the median area, I think is what you meant. Um, the only thing you have to consider if you're gonna if you're gonna play above the median house price, um, there are people who make their whole business strategy around playing above the median, you know, in more luxury homes or at least higher end homes. And there's some there's some pros and cons to that for sure. The biggest thing to consider, the biggest challenge when you're dealing above, you know, the average home price in your market is your buyer pool is smaller. It just is. The median home price is where everybody, not everybody, but that's where the bulk of your people are, right? As you go up in price, it just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So, but that's one thing to consider. And and that's why some people, and, and also the money involved is bigger. And so your holding costs, your carrying costs, your liabilities, all that is a little bit bigger because the, the money is bigger. Um, but sometimes when you're going above median, you're dealing with people who can be, they can be easier, they can be harder, they could be a little bit pickier, but 
you're dealing with a different type of homeowner. And usually you're not dealing with a first time homeowner, right? Because you're out of that medium price, which means they've been through the process. And so sometimes the new homeowners are are challenging because they've never been through the process and they have a lot of worries and concerns and fears and irrational um, behavior that it just, it's frustrating. Sometimes when you're in the higher markets, people have been through this, they, they get it. They're easier to talk to and negotiate with a little bit. This is my opinion, just my experience, but the buyer pool thing is the biggest consideration, the buyer pool. The buyer pool is smaller, the higher you go beyond median house price, the smaller the buyer pool. And so that could be a problem. So that, that's something to be considered. Okay, back to Doug. I'm just taking these in order, guys. How many mailers should you start with? Talking about direct mail now. I know it depends on your budget, but what should you start with to get two to three deals per month? So that's, okay. What do you start with? And how do you get two or three deals per month? Or two different questions. I know it feels like one question, but it's not necessarily. I always tell people, if if we just take budget off the table for a minute, right? Understanding that, you know, obviously you send a million mailers, you're going to get deals. But in the realm of reality, I like to see people start, start with two, I'm sorry, three to 5,000. Three to 5,000. If you can afford five, great. If not, maybe maybe dial it back to three. But I think three to five thousand, in my um, experience, is a good starting point to see what happens. How do you get two to three deals per month? That is that is a hundred percent a math problem, right? You send out five thousand mailers for a couple of months, and let's say you get one deal. Now, the reason why you can't necessarily know how to get two or three right off the bat is because you got one deal, let's say, in sixty days. The mail sometimes takes time to catch up to people's needs and for their timing of when they're actually ready to pull the trigger. So you may send me a postcard and I know I want to sell my house and I know I want to sell it for cash and I know I need to, to close relatively quickly, but I'm not quite ready. And sometimes, a lot of times, the folks that we're buying from as real estate investors, we know that we buy distressed property. Okay, We, we, we buy distressed property as real estate investors. But a lot of times, if we are just being honest, and if you've been doing this a while, you know that I'm right. We're not just buying distressed properties. We're buying distressed properties from distressed homeowners. And the distressed homeowners that we're buying from don't always make the most um, prudent, timely decisions. And so your card might sit on their refrigerator for a month, even though they're going into tax foreclosure in 60 days or something, right? Or the roof is leaking and, you know, they're having all these, you know, deferred maintenance problems, but they still just sort of like procrastinate and put it off because they don't want to admit they have a problem or they're just not good at managing their life, which is, which is reality, right? So you need to get the first couple of deals and see how many mailers it took and then amp it up, right? So if you send out 5,000 mailers and you get two deals, I'm sorry, if you get one deal, you may have to send out 15,000 to get three, maybe. But time time will tell. Because you know when you send out your mailers the first month, that gives you one month, one month of data. So one data point. Let's just call a month a data point. Every month you send out mailers, you get another data point. And your data becomes more and more accurate. In the beginning, you're kind of throwing a dart. You don't know, right? But that two to three deals, remember, it's not just the mail. It's 
what is your team? How, how well is your team handling it? Or how well are you handling it? If you're a one man band, do you have a full-time job? Are you answering the calls live? Uh, do you have time to answer all the calls when they tell you they're ready to sell? Can you get out and see them right away and get the contract? Or do you have to wait for a couple of days because you work late every night or you, you know, you, you coach a baseball team or you're on a co-ed softball team. So you can't get out there until Friday. And this is Tuesday. Like all these things play into when you get deals. I believe with all my heart, if my company gets 10 deals in a month, let's just say any given month, let's just say we get 10 deals. I truly believe that there are not every company would get 10 deals if they were in my spot because my team is dialed in. They've been doing this a long, long time. I think we have the best salesman anywhere. And I think we have the best dispositions person anywhere. And so, and we have the best phone people. So I, I really think that the leads that come into my company, I'm not, we're not perfect at all. But when leads come into my company, we do a fantastic job of turning those into deals. And so we may get 10, somebody else in my market with the exact same leads, maybe we'll get five, maybe they'll get six, maybe they'll get eight. I don't know they get 10, maybe, but I don't think so. And so some of that depends on you. It's not just the marketing. But I think if you start with three to five, I think to get two to three deals in most markets, you probably need to be sending out more than 5,000 mailers, you probably need 10 to 15, maybe 20, who knows, 10 to 15 anyway. Um, and that's where I think you're going to land probably in that, you know, 10 to 20,000 to get two or three deals. That's my, that's my guess with uh, tons of information missing from that, you know, um, that hypothesis, but that's where I would think you're going to end up being, but I would send out three to five to begin with, see what happens. If your phone just melts and you're just getting tons of calls and tons of leads. Awesome. I am wrong and I hope I'm wrong. And maybe you can get two to three leads. I'm sorry, two to three deals from 5,000 mailers. I just don't think that's going to happen. It, seven years ago, when I started direct mail, I would get for sure, I would get two to three deals on 5,000 mailers because I was getting one deal on 800 mailers. I started off sending 800 mailers. I got a deal month one. Month two, I send out 800 mailers. I got another deal. Like that's how it was seven years ago. It's not that way now. So it's fine, but... It might take you, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 mailers to get three deals. But, you know, 10,000 mailers is going to cost you about four grand, maybe $4,500. If you get two deals, I, you know, what is that, 20,000, $25,000? Like it's, it's good. It's a good trade off, right? If you can be two to three to four times your cost of marketing, that's a good thing to be. So, anyways, I, I, it's all, it all makes sense down the road, right? When you when you do the math, it sounds like a lot of mailers, but if you get three deals on 15,000 mailers and it costs you six grand, but you got three deals and you made 30 grand, like, okay, let's go. Let's let's dial in. Because then you start the, the real fun part of it. You start dialing in your mailer a little better, getting that even better. You start dialing in your team. Who's answering phones? What are they saying? You start dialing in your acquisitions. You start dialing. By the way, we're not even, I don't know if you're uh, if you're going to flip these or if you're going to wholesale them, Doug, I'm not sure. But if you're going to wholesale them, now you dial in your dispositions, right? There's a lot of money to be made in the acquisitions and dispositions part, right? It's all sales. What are you getting it for? And what are you selling it for? Even if you're flipping, right? Having someone really good on the back end to sell that is to sell that is really really important. So, don't overlook that at all. Okay, um, let's see. Next one uh, from Niju Patel. Thanks for 
adding in information on the additional layers with the process than utilizing direct mail. No problem. Don't you, you can't overlook that for sure. There's everybody, everybody wants to blame the marketing. And sometimes it is the marketing, but you have to have a good team or a good process. Like you absolutely can screw it up once the leads start coming in. I, I did. I know because I did. Like I'm saying all this because I've made all these mistakes. I used to think that when I sent out my direct mail and the calls came in, the person who answered that call wasn't critical. I kind of figured anybody with a heartbeat who could pick up a phone and say, hello, how may I help you? would be fine, right? So we just like plug in anybody and it's not, it's not fine. That is a sales position and that is the gatekeeper. And if people are all, trust me, when they call you off a, a postcard, they're already skeptical. They already don't know for sure if they can trust you. In fact, they probably think they can't trust you. And so the person answering the phone is really critical as an ambassador of your company. They have to make the person feel comfortable immediately. They have to tear down the walls that are up between you and the seller. They have to learn how to find common ground, build rapport, build a little relationship, all in about 10 or 15 minutes tops. They should be on the phone, right? And get that appointment. So there's so many things that go into it other than just the mail itself. Okay, Mike Smith, uh, follow-up question. <clears throat> New question. I just started the, post, uh, the postcard course. Thanks for that. I'm a solopreneur. What is my ballpark number of calls leads to get a deal? Um, providing I have the funds, keep increasing size of mail out. So it's funny you asked this. I was just asked this today. So there's something. So when calls come in, the way that we have always measured this in my company is there's two, two classifications when the phone rings. There's a call. Okay. That's anytime the phone rings, that's a call. And there are leads that come in for my company. And what I teach people is a lead is defined by anybody who calls, who owns a house that they could sell. That's a lead. Doesn't mean they want to sell. doesn't mean they will sell. It just means they actually own a home that they are legally allowed to sell. And the reason I say that is sometimes you'll have um, a son call in and he wants to talk about selling his mom's house. Well, he's not on the deed. So he can't sell the house. I don't I don't consider that a lead. It's a call. Could be a lead, could turn into a lead if you talk to them talk to the mother and she wants to sell or she can sell, right? She's the mom, she's on the deed. So then that's a lead. Somebody calls in and says, "I got your postcard. Um, I'm ripping it up as we speak. I never want you to contact me again. How did you get my information? I'm so mad at you. I hate you." Um, I hope you die. That That's a call, but it's not a lead. We can't count that as a lead. So your question was, number of calls. I, I don't like working in calls because calls are a little bit, um, they're, uh, they're misleading. Because if you go online and you start looking at some of these marketing gurus, and I don't put myself in that category because I don't know everything, but they will talk about response rates and they're always talking about calls. And the reason why I'm so adamant and I'm taking the time to make this point is because 
I can get people to call me at a high rate, but it doesn't mean they have a house that they can sell. Here's what I mean. If I sent you guys who are on this call right now or on the, who are live, if I sent you a postcard and said, hi, my name is Mike. Um, I'm local to you. Uh, I've been watching your children for the past month. I know their patterns. I know where they go to school. I know where they play. I know where their friends live. Uh, I'm going to abduct them. Give me a call if you want to stop that from happening. How many of you call me if you have kids? All of you, of course, right? But you're not going to sell me your house. Right? You're just going to call me. And I'm exaggerating. I'm being a little facetious. But some of these gurus will try to sell you postcards that are agitating, that are scary, that are threatening, right? They'll put things on their card like last warning, must call before end of month or, you know, something nuts. And of course, they get tons of calls and they go, hey, my card has a 10% response rate or a 30%. It's like, yeah, of course, you're scaring people. They're not selling you houses. They're calling you, right? So I don't care about calls, I care about leads. So long, long answer, not as long. It takes usually, depending on how good your phone person is, I would say 15 to 25. So let's just say 20 to 25 leads in order to get an appointment. And usually in our company, we go on three appointments to get a contract. That's average, right? Sometimes we'll get a couple of contracts in a row and then we'll go five appointments with that one. But it's typically one contract for every three appointments. And it usually takes us uh, about 20 leads to get that appointment. So um, that's how we look at it. Now, how many postcards do we have to send out to get 20 leads? <sighs> It, it depends on the time of the year. It depends on if we're split testing stuff, but we send out, uh, we used to send out like 60,000, 60,000 postcards and we would get, you know, 10 leads. So whatever that is. So we're sending out like 10,000 postcards now, not, not nearly as many because we're doing some other things and we're getting, you know, we're getting a couple of deals from that every month. So that's, that's kind of about our ebb and flow, but we've been a little bit, we've been changing up our marketing. We've been changing our, our strategy a little bit here as COVID hit. And as we're going out of COVID, we're doing like, we went from doing all wholesaling to doing about half wholesaling and half um, like owner finance, like land contract kind of stuff. And so that that's a little bit different and we're marketing a little different for that. So the numbers get a little jumbled, but that's kind of where, we, where we've always been, like historically where we've been. All right, Mike, again, until I reach say 10 to 12 calls per mail out, is that how I should be approaching it? Not calls, leads, but I already went through that. And I know you asked this before I went on my little tirade. Um, I would say as far as leads, like qualified leads or, you know, leads that I define as somebody who owns a house who can sell. Yeah, I would up your marketing until you're getting, yeah. I mean, if it takes, you know, 20 leads to get an appointment, you know, you're probably going to need to get 30 leads probably to get your first deal. That would be my guess, right? And then I would, but again, try it. Like you got to send them out. Like some of this is like, you know, I always use the phrase, you can't steer a parked car. And what I mean by that is it's hard for us to make these decisions about how many to send out and what should it say and how many leads will I get and how many appointments. Like we, the car isn't moving. We can't steer it. You need to get the car in motion. You need to get the mail out. And once you've done that for two or three or four or five months, 
then we can have a really good surgical, accurate conversation about what you do to adjust to get two or to get two deals, to get four deals, to get five deals, to get 10 deals or to get one deal. Like we can start having that conversation and we can lean on data, which is ultimately what I do in my company. Anything we do new, we just do it, right? We just, we just throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. And then we start making decisions based on that. So I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to sit here and predict in various cities and states across the country at Christmas time in the winter versus spring or summer. Like it all, there's like layers, guys, layers. It's not as linear as I know you want it to be. And I, I get it. I, I would want it to be that linear too. And I always try to look for the simple direct answer. So I totally get it. Layers. The, the first layer is sending it out and seeing what comes back, right? It's like, it's like the game Marco Polo. You yell Marco out to the marketplace, out to the sellers, and you see how many people yell Polo back, right? And if, if a dozen people yell Polo back, awesome. You've hit on something. Your marketing looks good. You're, you're, you're doing it right. And then you just have to get all the rest of it right. When they call, create that rapport, break down the walls, all that stuff, ask the right questions and, and move forward. So it's, I say start if... If you know if budget wasn't a concern, I'd say send out twenty thousand, right? But realistically and reasonably, send out five. Send out five, and do that for a month. And by the way, don't send them out one time for the month. That's not the way you do it. Send them out once a week. So if you're going to send out ten thousand, send out twenty five hundred per week, right? Get those calls coming. And the reason we do that is we don't know what's going to happen in the world. Okay. Um, Russia invades Ukraine, right? Earlier in the year. If your marketing hit the day that news broke, that's bad for marketing, right? It's bad for Ukraine, obviously, but it's it's for us, it's bad for our marketing because everyone's attention's diverted. All right. It's it's gonna hurt you. If you send out your marketing, the first time you send it out is the week of the presidential election. Forget it. Your your market, you might as well burn those postcards. They're not getting anywhere, right? People are getting flooded with mail. It's getting lost in the mail. People are more worried about the election than they are your postcard. So all of that matters. Like when do the when do the cards go out? Right. You don't, I personally don't like them to hit on a Friday because people have already gone through getting their butt kicked throughout the week at their job or life or whatever. They're tired. All they're thinking about is the weekend. All they're thinking about is relaxing. They don't need any more stress in their life. And you're hitting them with the decision that stresses them out. I like hitting people on a Monday. They get the card. They read it. They have time throughout the week to call us back. If they, they get it on a Friday, they go through the weekend. They could completely forget. Just my, my data shows when it hits on a Monday or a Tuesday, it's better. You don't want it to hit on the weekend either. A lot of times that doesn't work out for whatever reason. Just psychology of people, right? They're not, they don't want to deal with it on the weekend or on a Friday. So we want mail to hit on a Monday. So there's a lot of like nuances to this. It's not super linear, but I would send out 5,000, see how many calls you get at the end of the month, which means after mailing four times, one week, 2,500, the next week, 2,500. Well, if you're going to send out 5,000, then I would break it down even further, right? I would break it down to like whatever, 1,250, 1,250, 1,250. And at the end of the month, see how many calls you get. And if it's an acceptable amount, let's say you you got 20 or 30 calls. Great. You should be able to turn those into a, a deal or two. 
So that's how I would approach it. And then you just ramp up or ramp down. Rarely do you ramp down. 5,000 is where I tell people to start because I don't want them to break the bank in month one. I want them to get a reading on what's happening. And I think five, three to 5,000 is a reasonable first attempt. By the way, if the phone doesn't ring once, which is un unlikely, but if it doesn't ring once, you're way undershooting the amount you need to send out. It, the market will tell you, it will just tell you what you have to do, but you have to send it out to know. Okay, next question. Ricky, Ricky says, would you recommend finding buyers or putting buyers list together before finding motivated sellers and getting contracts in place? Also thoughts on wholesaling on Long Island, New York. I think wholesaling is great everywhere personally. So I don't see why it wouldn't be good on Long Island, but I don't have specific Long Island data or, or experience. But your first part of your question, very important. I, I believe you should always prioritize getting contracts and talking to motivated sellers because if you find a really great deal, okay, I'm just gonna throw random numbers out there. I don't know Long Island numbers. So let me just be, let me just, throw numbers out. Don't, don't text me that that is not the right median house price. I, it probably won't be. If you get a deal under contract with a, with a seller, motivated seller for $100,000 and you run comps and that house is worth $300,000 fully renovated last 60 to 90 days comps and the house only needs light cosmetic rehab, you will find a buyer for that. You just will. You hold. You go to any RIA and hold up that contract and say the numbers, and you'll be surrounded by people. So, I I wouldn't build a buyer's list first. And I don't. I've never said this before, but I'm. I, listen, if you ever get a deal under contract, and you're concerned you can't sell it, and it's a smoking good deal, shoot me a DM. Like I will figure it out. We will co wholesale this thing and <laughs> we'll both make money. Like I just know a good deal always sells. So I don't, I don't think you look for the buyer first. I think that's a little bit of a waste of time. Find a great deal. Then the buyers will, will line up, trust me. But it doesn't mean you can't do both, right? I, I always tell people this too. Like if you run your life and your business in a sequential way where like, first I do this, then I do this, then I do this. That is that is the definition of misery for me. I need to be doing things at one time. So you should be looking for motivated sellers and building your buyers list at the same time because neither activity is a necessarily a full-time job. Okay, you can build a buyers list and I can help you do that if you want me to. Just if you want to shoot me a DM or something, I can I don't have time here to go over it, but um, and by the way, guys, if if you want, if if you guys would be interested in me putting something together about how to build a buyer's list, because by the way, if you're a wholesaler, I believe your buyer's list is the value of your company. I really do. Um, the systems and processes are obviously very important, but your buyer's list is so valuable and people overlook it like critically overlook it. If you guys would want me to put something like that together for you so you could just have it, I, I, I would be interested in doing that potentially, but um, I wouldn't build the buyer's list first, but I would, I would try to build it at the same time. I would, my main priority, talking to sellers, finding a great deal and getting under contract. That's my priority. But in my downtime, I'm going to start building that buyer's list because you can build a buyer's list pretty fast. There are ways to really 
really do that fast and get really great, like really good buyers on that list really, really fast. But to, to, go get the deal. That's that's critical. That's number one. Go get the deal. And if you can't find a buyer and it's a great deal, call me, shoot me a DM and I'll figure it out with you. All right. Uh, next question is from, need you again. How are you finding owner finance deals? Um, owner finance buyers, I'm sorry. Um, we use a reverse bandit sign method, meaning <clears throat> we put signs in, in the yard and around the property and we drive people to a phone number and a Facebook page. And so we build a Facebook community, a Facebook page, a private Facebook page with uh, owner finance buyers. And so we build that page. So when we find a deal, we post it to our own Facebook page and we have people lined up to buy these deals. We're not using realtors necessarily. We do put these on the MLS too from time to time, but we're trying to really just build that Facebook page or that Facebook group of people who are looking for owner finance deals and get that to the point where we just put it on there and it's like feeding frenzy. And that's kind of where we're getting right now. That's the point that we're getting to. So that's how we do it. Mostly reverse bandit signs. We do uh, advertise on the MLS, like I said. So when we get leads from that, we ask them or we direct them to the Facebook page and we get them on there so they know they can see those things right as they become available. So that's that's mostly how we're doing it. There's a few other things we're tweaking, but that's that's the majority of the way we do it. Okay, this probably is the last question, unless some you have something burning, you can put it in there. But uh, Doug asks, once you are mailing regularly every week, do you skip Christmas, Thanksgiving, election, Olympics? No, um, which might sound counterintuitive to my, what I was saying earlier about layers and when are you sending it out? Um, I think I actually talked about this last last week or the week before. We have tried. We have tried stopping mailers between like Thanksgiving and New Year. We've tried slowing down, just doing less of it. Every time we slow down or stop, we see too long of a ramp up period after the first of the year. So when we shut down one year between Thanksgiving and, and New Year, it took us into February before we were starting to get traction again on our on our mail. Even though we started sending out mail January 1, it took us to mid-February to kind of get back in a little bit of a rhythm like we were before. So not only did we lose all of December and part of November, but all of December, all of January, most of February, we lost three months by doing that. We find that when we just mail consistently through all of those holidays and things, yes, the call volume goes down. The deal flow goes down for us in December. By the way, I know people in the South, like Florida area, whose deals go up. They have December is better for them. I don't know. It's not for us. It's always been bad for us. But our deal flow goes down mid-November through the end of the year, but it doesn't stop. But the key is January and February are back to normal when they start. Like we're back to normal starting. Matter of fact, we've had some of our best weeks the first and second week of January. But it doesn't work if we stop mailing in December. We have to mail all the way through because they get these things through the holidays. My my guess is that they're getting these things through the holidays. We all know the holidays bring on a lot of joy, but they also bring on a lot of pain and realization of where they are in life and what's happening. And you get to the end of the year and there's just a lot of people make life decisions. And so I like to get the mail out, get our marketing out during that time 
so that when people get past the holidays and they're ready to do something about it, turn the page, make a new decision, they have my postcard on their refrigerator at that time. So we we mail all the way through the Olympics, through elections, but we just know we're going to take hits. We are our response rates and our deal flow takes a bit of a hit uh, the 4th of July, right? I mean, it's a great holiday, obviously. I'm a proud American, but I just didn't think that was a big enough holiday to actually make a difference, but it does. And I think it's because it's summer. People are traveling for the 4th of July, right? And so all of these things are going to like, you're going to see little blips in the in the performance of your marketing, but you'll see a much bigger valley if you stop than you will if you just go through it. If you go through it, boop, it's a blip. If you stop, it's a it's a cavern. It's just deep and it stays that way for a while. So I think you have to just go all the way through it and don't freak out if you feel like your mail is not returning the response that you want during those times. It just won't. So, all right. I think that's all the questions I have for tonight. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for logging on and uh, participating. It's so much more fun. I love talking to you guys and having these conversations and these questions and follow-up questions. It makes it so much uh, fun for me. We talked a lot about direct mail. <laughs> if you weren't on at the beginning of the um, of the live, uh, I told you I have a course called Winning Direct Mail. Uh, I think Mike maybe said he was into it right now. Um, go there. If you go to MikeSimmons.com, uh, you can just fill out. There's a little form right there on the front page. You can just fill it out and you get you get it sent to you for free. It's, it's a free course. Or you can go to WinningDirectMail.com and get it there too. Guys, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, I will see you next week. Go grab the course. Like I said, it's totally free and uh, I'm going to eventually take it down. So um, go and grab it while it's free. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your questions. We'll see you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.